Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Hi everyone, welcome to the new episode, episode 4 on Shaharul Nightlife. And today, we are so blessed and so fortunate to get brother Sheikh Mustafa. He's all the way from the United States of America. He's actually a French-American Indian who is also a biblical scholar and former Baptist pastor who retired in 2013. And in 2018, that's five years later, he reverted to Islam. So why he reverted in a very generic sense is because he found that the fundamentals of Christianity did not make sense to him and came to find that Islam has the truth in it. So that's why he came to embrace it. So after much thought and study, he believed that Islam is the true path. So Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, Sheikh. Thanks for taking the time to come on our live stream all the way from the United States. And to everyone here as well on the panel, uh, we have uh, Saiful Rahman. Thanks for joining us. We have Brother Iskandar from the Netherlands. We have Brother Edison Amir. Uh, his Muslim name is Amir from Singapore. And our sister here, Risu, and that's her YouTube channel as well called Risiology. You can go check it out. She's all the way from Toronto, Canada. And we have a beautiful sister here also, Philippa from Bulgaria. So, mashallah, we have a like total of seven people all in the stream today. Sister Sarah couldn't join us. Unfortunately, she's not feeling that well. So inshallah, we'll see her again in other topics. So without much further ado, I would like to bring Sheikh Mustafa up on the stream in the foreground to first maybe give us a brief understanding of what a Baptist Christian is and also a bit of yourself. Well, Brother Fergus, basically a Baptist Christian is someone who upholds the Bible, Jesus as being God, there are certain fundamentals. These fundamentals differ between Baptist groups, but they're loosely held together. Southern Baptists are different from independent Baptists, which are different from the other groups of Baptists. So there's several different groups. One of the main thrusts of Baptist faith is the autonomy that each church would have to govern themselves. So if one wanted to believe one thing, that was perfectly fine as long as it wasn't a heresy. They would be in fellowship with the rest of the churches, uh, loosely held in fellowship. But basically, the Bible is the predominant scripture. And basically, when I talk about Bible, I mean the New Testament in particular. The Old Testament is, I don't want to say abrogated like we would say in Muslim theology and thought, but it was there for historic purposes and just geographical basis and where we find the Ten Commandments, which a lot of them, well, not a lot of them, but they, they've changed in the New Testament somewhat. So that's basically what a Baptist is. It's a group of people that get together with that one thing in mind. can be different than the next Baptist church on the block. So okay. when you say Baptists, that's a big group. Now, Southern Baptists believe in a doctrine of faith. They have a, an outline of it, and pretty much they adhere to that. But they would be different than, than a regular Baptist, a general Baptist, or whatever. Okay. May I ask what Bible do you use in your church? Is it the King James Version, or which version are you using? Well, that's to be debated by the church. I mean, it would all depend on what church you're in when I say Baptist. If you're in a fundamentalist church, pretty much you're going to be looking at a King James Version. And that would be the only version that they would even want to listen to. There's churches like that, and they're still out there today. If you're in a more liberal church, and basically a church probably with younger people, 
you could probably use a NIV or New American Standard or something like that. I mean, a newer translation that's a little more clear. They would probably reject some of the paraphrases like the Living Bible and the Amplified Bible and some of these things like that. So that's the church that I was in. They would prefer you to use. If you don't want to cause a lot of problems, you don't know exactly what they believe and you're there to speak, I would suggest a, a King James Version. Okay, cool. The other question I'd like to ask is, I understand that different Christian groups or denominations, they see Jesus differently. Some see him as a man, some see him as the son of God. For a Baptist like yourself, do you see him as a God, a former Baptist like yourself, I mean? Oh yeah, definitely. Jesus was God. Anywhere that you would look in the New Testament, you would get the implication. You wouldn't get direct statement from Jesus that I'm God. That, that, that You'll never find that anywhere. But if you look at the book of John, you'll definitely see an elevated individual and an individual that was elevated to deity just about. This was a progression, I think. This thing, this happened throughout a, a span of time. Most Baptists would believe that he's God. And if you're Christian, you have to believe that. I mean, uh, that's what Christianity is. Without Jesus, there is no Christianity. Can I in interject since we're talking about Jesus? So, Brother Sheikh Mustafa, the Baptists generally believe that Jesus would come down as, as a second coming, literally, in a sense, same as the Muslims. Is there a difference in the way Baptists understand how is his second coming, his role would be, as compared to a Muslim's point of view? Well, as a Baptist, when Jesus comes back, he comes back before the judgment. And he comes back as a ruling king, a conqueror, much different than he came the first time. We believe the first time he came, he was more passive. He allowed himself to be crucified. But when he comes again, he's going to come on a white horse. He's going to be the conqueror. And uh, we have in uh, Muslim thought and theology and practice, what's being taught is that he conquers the Jal. And, of course, they would call this the Antichrist. So he has a battle. There's this uh, battle that takes place. And this is pretty much what Baptists believe when he comes a second time. Now, whether you're raptured up before this, uh, there, there's many different views of that. You know, you could be raptured up. Uh, uh, maybe you're going to go through tribulation, this period of time. Many different thoughts on what, you know, it, in, and in Baptist faith or even in Christianity, several things are never clear. There's no one solution that fits all. And that's why we got 40 some thousand different churches, because there's no agreement on a lot of these things. So in essence, as a Baptist also, you guys believe in the Trinity. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, most uh, any Christian just about would believe in the Trinity. Uh, there's some oneness groups. They don't believe in a Trinity, though. So any Christian group would believe in a Trinity. And they would believe that Jesus is part of that Trinity, which the three pieces, I like to say pieces because, you know, they're divided. No matter what they say, they say they're one, but, you know, I can't see one. I always see three, and it's always mentioned as three. So to me, it's divided. You, you divided a Godhead into three pieces, and that's that's pretty much pretty much what I had trouble with. Do you have statues of Jesus in your church in the past? Or is there any statues of Mary or saints there as well? No, in the Baptist faith, there's no statues. They would have a cross and they would have no corpse on the cross. So there would be no pictures, none of that stuff. Now, we had close, the pastor, the church that I pastored was in a, in a community, and part of that community was split between Methodism 
and Baptist faith and practice. So we would have a lot of fellowship with the Methodists. And when we'd go to their church, they had pictures and they had these other things. They had Christ on the cross, the crucifixion. And, and you won't find that most Baptist, you won't find that in Baptist church. But like, again, once again, I say, every Baptist church is autonomous. They could have it there if they wanted to. If they voted it to be there, they could have it. But as a rule, generally, they don't have it. I would like to ask, can you perhaps tell us more about the Trinity itself? Because I've always uh, wondered about, you know, Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And uh, I just, I'm curious about all of that. The Holy Ghost, uh, we generally don't call him the Holy Ghost. I mean, that's a phrase that's generally with the uh, Pentecostal people. Uh, the oneness, uh, these kinds of people would call them Holy Ghost. It makes it kind of spooky when you say that, you know, so we say Holy Spirit. And um, yeah, part of the Trinity, I, I forget exactly what the question was. You want to tell me a little bit more clearer what the what about the Trinity? Uh, she wants to have a clear picture of the view of Trinity in, in Christianity. Who is Jesus in the Trinity, the Godhead and also the Holy Spirit? Right. God would be uh, uh, the foremost, and then you would have the Holy Spirit, which would be the creative power. That would go back to Genesis 1, the, the Spirit moved on the face of the earth. The same Spirit, they would say. The Spirit also has a personality. So he's a person, not just an immaterial wind that's blowing. So, And then Jesus, of course, would be the Son of God. He would be God. He would be part of God. You know, it's 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 pretty complex to believe, and uh, uh, you can uh, talk to people, and I've talked to people. When you give Dawah to people, you're going to give Dawah to Christians. Uh, you have to know where they're coming from, what background they have, and that's part of my mission, I guess, in my later years here. I'm in the last quarter of my life, uh, last quarter, maybe the last decade. But anyway, uh, I want to I want to make that clear to people. You know, uh, this concept of a Trinity. As something that was invented. This is not something that you get from the Bible, the scripture alone. Paul's teaching promoted this type of hierarchy of Jesus being elevated to God. Not only Paul, but John, the epistle of John, the, the gospel of John. There's where you're going to find this elevation. Throughout the gospels, the synoptic gospels, you'd have a hard time. If you only had the synoptic gospels, you'd have a hard time with the concept of the Trinity, for sure. Uh, you know, there is a hadith in which Aisha narrated the Prophet to have said, do good deeds properly, sincerely, and moderately, and receive the good news that you may, your good deeds may not lead you to paradise. And then Aisha said, even you, dear Prophet, and the Prophet said, yeah, even me, unless Allah bestows me pardon and mercy. So I, I want to ask, since becoming a Muslim, what is the paradigm shift coming from a belief system that believes in salvation by faith alone? that Jesus died on the cross as the main sacrifice to atone for the sins of humanity, to, into coming into a belief system of faith that believes in salvation through works, through deeds, and importantly, to the mercy of Allah. Yeah, it's quite different. Um, in, the, in the Christian system, where your belief is in Jesus Christ as the atonement, <clears throat> the sin bearer, you don't have to work as hard. I mean, sin is a, a natural part of life. I mean... It doesn't really matter what faith you are. You're going to stumble and fall at some point. I mean, there's bad Muslims. There's there's good Muslims that practice. And, and you know, it's everywhere. In every faith, I don't care what it is, every faith system, sin is part of 
part of humanity. So how you deal with that sin, and if you're going to deal with it with faith in a person like Jesus, who completely his work on the cross took away the sin for you, you get an attitude that, look, hey, it's not so bad that I can do this. You know, all I got to do is ask for forgiveness. Okay, because sin, you know, Jesus bore it all for me. And yeah, see, so you get that that lazy attitude. And uh, as far as works, I don't know too many Baptists that are working at anything other than causing confusion on Wednesday, Wednesday night's business meeting. Uh, you know, it, it, there's just no no real works uh, like like we would do. So when I looked at Islam, I looked at not only a, a a system of belief and faith. I also looked at a system of life, the way to live your life, which appealed to me. Probably doesn't appeal to a lot of my friends. And, you know, they call me crazy and fake shake and, you know, all kinds of stuff, you know. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a way of life, a way that you live your life. You structure your life around certain things. And that's what Islam is. It's not just a belief. It's not just a Sunday morning or a Wednesday prayer meeting. These things are continued throughout the week with your works, your good works. Now you're constantly trying to serve humanity and your brothers and sisters. We should all stick together as Muslims, right? Yeah. So probably that is a perfect segue into my next question. What is it about Islam that make you sit up and consider this as an option? after you you were successful in your journey in in Christianity? Well, the one thing I guess that really impressed me and when I started to look, because I, I, I always had this doubt about the Trinity, all right? When I started to research uh, the background, uh, how it was developed, and I looked at the New Testament, you know, the New Testament, where it was written, by who it was written, it made me think because, you know, a lot of these, the Greeks, were polytheists. They had the, the mother, the son, and God. They believed in tritheism, a lot of them. A lot of this goes back to Mithraism and, and these faiths that uh, preceded Christianity. I just uh, I just felt like uh, I just needed to uh, find the one God. I started to think about Judaism, and I said, well, no. I said, there's some funny things there, so uh, I won't get into that right now, but I started to want to go down the road of one God. I didn't want to entangle three, and I wanted to get away from that. I wanted to submit to God, in which I wasn't, as a Baptist, you don't submit to anything, you know. You got a, a statement of faith, and usually people are so confused with that. They, if you're pastoring a church, you might get the same guy saved three times in a year. So it's uh, it was just too flimsy, and there was no way of life. And I just uh, wanted something different. Uh, I wanted to share something in the last part of my life, like I like I'm telling you, that was that was valuable. That would add value to your life. Don't make the mistakes I did. Uh, try to get away from that. Uh, take it from me: Islam is the better path than Judaism or or Christianity. I think Brother Edison has a question, uh, Amir. So my question is, because I was a Christian for 11 years, so what we thought was, throughout the whole Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, each individual prophet actually come from different era. Meaning to say, let's say some are born uh, 
hundred years later or something like that. But they are all always talking about Jesus. That's why many people come to agree that Jesus is God. You know what I mean? My pastor will always say, what are the odds for everyone to talk about the same person when they never even meet one another? Yeah, so I guess that's one of the reasons that many people believe that Jesus is God and how we are brought up as a Christian to think that Jesus is God and Almighty and stuff because they will tell you the story about Old Testament all the way to New Testament where they spoke about Jesus in a different way. And same thing goes to me that came to Islam is also about the Trinity. I always question uh, about the Trinity. Like, how come there is, you all talk about one God, but then there's three God. You know, they say Father, Spirit, and Son. And then there was a statement in the Bible, um, I believe you know, uh, it stated that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Whoever come to me, eh, whoever want to come to, whoever want to know my Father have to come through me. Yeah, I believe you know about that. Okay, so your question is regarding this verse in the Bible. Yeah, correct. That wh- whoever wants to get to the f- Father has to go through the Son. Is it something along those something lines? Like that. I can't remember the exact verse, but uh, okay. But it was like whoever wants. And what is his take on that verse in the Bible? Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, Sheikh, what is your take on that verse in the Bible? Well, that's one verse. There's many other verses that would uh, point or allude to the same thing. My take on that is when you're developing something like Paul did. I mean, most of the New Testament, most of what you say or think are uh, about Jesus is prominently it gets promoted by Paul. That's something that the disciples never taught. That's something Jesus didn't teach. When we look, you know, not only me, but a lot of other former religious, now whether you're Baptists or Methodists or whatever, uh, maybe you're Orthodox or whatever group you came from, we're, we're all out there posting videos. And we all got plenty of videos on inspiration, the Bible, uh, what we think of the Bible, and the insertion of verses, the various other problems with verses, problems with stories in the Bible. So why should I take this verse seriously? You know, that's the thing. And maybe that's the question. I don't or part of the question. I'm, kind of lost a little bit but you, you know you just you just can't uh, base it on a book that we've proven a thousand times to have mistakes that's the problem see and that was the, the difference between the bible and the quran there hasn't been any of this higher criticism done on the quran for for it's been protected for a long time there's some people out there and we call them orientalists yeah, simply because they went to non-Arabic schools, and they've got a knowledge of, of the Quran. But this higher criticism doesn't exist in Islam. But the text itself is not designed like the Bible. The Bible was designed to answer certain questions about certain situations. The Quran is, is, is a, a book of worship. You know, it's a book of recital. It's a book of, and that's what we do. You know, when we pray, we, what do we do? We recite verses from Surah, so it's it's a lot of a lot of big difference as far as these verses in the Bible that you know we could go down Romans Road or or uh, John three sixteen or these other things that you know we used to use to get people to make this profession of faith in Jesus you know in, in Christ uh, I think it's just a fabrication. I have my own views about the Bible when it came from it, it was failing uh, Christianity was failing. 
uh, around Israel in that area uh, at the time. And the only the only thing that saved Christianity was the move to the Greek speaking people and to the Romans. Without that move, you would have no Christianity. It would have failed. So as it went that way, they incorporated these things into it because they were part of their religion. The idea, like I told you about the three gods, uh, that was that was part of early ancient religions. Uh, not only the Egyptians, but all these other groups had this idea, this concept. This verse that you're talking about, I'm not sure that I would base my future in, in something like that. As flimsy as something I can find mistakes in all over the place. If it was a, if it was a textbook on uh, how to transplant a heart, and it was as flimsy as this, I mean, you'd be in big trouble. So that's my view. That's my recent view. This is not the view I had when I was in the seminary. This is not the view I had when I was a Christian pastor. So my view evolved. We have two questions from two sisters. First, I'll put Philippa. She has a question for you. And next, Risa. I have a question because this is something that I personally struggle with in my life with my Christian background. And it's talking to other Christians about the improvements of this. Basically how, I, I don't know how to phrase this exactly, but... I, I struggle to defend Islam in a way that convinces Christians. And I was wondering whether you have some advice or some ways that you handle those types of conversations. Yeah, we got a few minutes, I guess, for that. But anyway, uh, it, it depends on the person. You know, even when we were uh, what we would call witnessing for Christ, you wouldn't come into somebody's presence or house or home. Because we used to do a lot of door-to-door -door knocking. You know, you don't do that in Islam. We used to go and do a lot of door-to-door, -door, and you would try to build up a friendship with the person, and you would try to answer questions, of stay away from the real critical things, and try to find some kind of some kind of an equal ground, something that you could agree on, and build up these kinds of, uh, you know, people watch you. You know, I don't care if you're at your work or the ladies have, a, have a, an additional thing that they, they wear a hijab. Okay, so, you know, as a guy, we don't wear it. I look like a hillbilly. If I take the stove off, you know what I'm saying? I look like somebody from Duck Dynasty. So I can blend right in, whereas you, if you're wearing a hijab, right away, oh, that's one of them Muslims. You know what I'm saying? Especially where I live. Uh, we got more educated people in South Florida that come from up east. But if you're in Alabama or Mississippi or Louisiana or Texas, I mean, that's what you go through. Uh, so these people are going to be naturally harder to reach because continuously on the news, they're bombarded with, hey, look at what these Muslims are doing. Look what they're doing now, you know, with Eid and all this other stuff. You know, they had the, the slaughter at Eid of the animals and stuff. It front page some places, you know, Mississippi or something, somewhere like that. They're, you're just portrayed in the, in the worst light that you can be portrayed in. So trying to reach people, you got to know where they're coming from. Now in Florida, you got a lot of retired people, a lot of educated people, a lot of people that'll that'll hear you out. A lot of people are interested in what you believe, just simply to be interested. So you got to know who's interested and who's wanting to become a Muslim. And I got a whole video on before you become a Muslim. It just goes step by step on on a lot of these things because. It's not a decision that you want to make right away. I don't want to run in there and I don't want to convince somebody to be a Muslim. 
because you know we used to have a saying and it was a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still and that's pretty much the pretty much the reason why uh, people become a muslim or they become a baptist or they come from another faith maybe they were catholic they're now baptist and and you talk them into it uh, you can do that a clever person can talk somebody into anything and um We've seen it here with the presidency. So anyway, uh, you, you can't do things like that. I mean, it's a slow process. It's a slow process. Depending on where you're from now, sister, you're from Canada. And I think, you know, and I'm from uh, America. And our, our Islam is a lot different than if somebody was coming from Saudi Arabia. I got a friend upstairs. I live in an apartment building. And he lives up on the third floor, and he's from um, he's from uh, Egypt. Now, he tells me things of the way they are in Egypt. You know what I'm saying? Uh, everyone goes to the masjid for prayer. We don't uh, here. We may live 60 miles from where the masjid is. Just uh, not a not a possibility. Now we probably can grow on Friday, but uh, every day it's, it's just too much. So it's it's more liberal. I listen to Shabir Ali a lot. Shabir is in Canada. And uh, some of Shabir's views are, are uh, what I call light, light Islam. Because <laughs> some of it would not be the same thing that would be taught in, in Saudi Arabia or any of the Islamic countries uh, where there's an Islamic state. So uh, that's the difference. Uh, there's a big difference there, cultural difference. So you know the people understand the people and kind of move in lightly and find out what they want you know find out their views don't don't compromise your islam i mean don't compromise it uh what about arisa you have a question uh yeah i have a question um generally just about i guess the perception of um jesus within both religions so like there's a common misconception that um christians like the word Christians, Christ, you know, like has the word Christ in it, meaning they believe in like Jesus is God. Um, but the thing is, they some people, many Christians think that um, Muslims are Mohammedans. You know, they think they Christians think that like Muslims think Prophet Muhammad is God. Did you have any of these kind of like misconceptions? And what were some of the misconceptions you like you had, and then you it changed when you um, reverted to Islam? Wait, wait, wait. We're going to misconceptions, right? Okay, just before we get to the misconceptions part, I think it's good if our brother Sheikh shared his reversion story, like how he slowly came to Islam, and then we should talk about the misconceptions. Is that okay? Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. Okay, cool. Uh, brother Sheikh, could you share with us your story, how you, from a pastor who have people in church where you, you were you know guiding towards Christianity, how did you eventually saw Islam as as the way of life, like the truth? Okay, so I guess it. Uh, I guess you can start that uh, start at that point uh, when I uh, quit being a pastor, and that was a number of years ago. I started having a lot of, you know, I just couldn't adapt well to it. You know, this was something that I wanted to do and felt like I was called to do, but I couldn't adapt well to it. Uh, there was too much problems. And, uh, you know, when I seen uh, uh, there were deacons that pulled knives on one another, you know, because they had an argument over something. 
Uh, this was the kind of church I was in. I had seven deacons in this church. And um, they were country people. They weren't city people. Uh, you wouldn't probably see that in downtown New York, you know what I'm saying, where they pull knives on one another. They'd probably be a little more tactful, you know. But these kinds of things went on all the time, the fighting, the dissension. And, and you're doing this after you invested, oh, I don't know, maybe $120,000, $150,000 in your education. You're expecting to, to, to be able to survive at least. And you come to these churches and they got 100 families, but uh, not everybody is donating their 10% or giving the way they should. So you have a problem living. Now they want you to do all these things, be at their bedside, be at their funerals, be everywhere, visit, try to build a church. And you got to work a job. You got to have a job to, to, to support yourself. So, you know, I always come from a truck driving family. So... This was, you know, easy for me, but it's pretty hard to to drive a truck, uh, especially over the road and pastor a church. So I made a decision that uh, because of my health, I was having health problems as a cause of, of pastoring this church. I made the decision that I'm going to, I'm just going to take and uh, leave and drive a truck. And that was pretty much my background. As far as coming to Islam, I did a lot of study. Being retired from 2013, and like you said, five years later, I have a lot of time. Now, even though I've got uh, four kids, I've got three boys and a, and a daughter, and uh, I'm taking care of them myself. I'm a single parent. It makes it a little hard. You know, you've got, of course, now they're bigger than what they were. And, you know, I don't have to have a babysitter. And, but I still, that time is, you know, you gotta you got to do the cooking, the, the cleaning, you know, and i got to keep on them. 100% of the time. Otherwise, they start going cockeyed, you know. So this is this is a, a, a job. Believe it or not, being a, taking care of a house is a job. And you, you, you ladies know that. There's always something to clean, always something to do. But anyway, I tried to uh, uh, work on my own and uh, got everything I could do on, on studying for Islam. I did a lot of study those two years before, before I became a Muslim. Before I took the Shahada, I was pretty clear on everything about Islam. Now, did I have some false ideas? Yeah, you bet. Uh, there was a lot of things I picked up from the internet that I should have probably left alone. So you got to be careful out there. And when you're new in Islam, you got to get under somebody like a sheikh that's knowledgeable. I was lucky. I had a guy that, a friend of mine, he's now a friend of mine. But Sheikh Abdul Azim, and he, he was educated in Medina, speaks Arabic fluently, you know, as part of the educational process. But anyway, he kind of took me under his wing and said, you know, he said, uh, because I always had these problems. You know, when you're a, a Baptist, you question everything. We question the scripture. We question the pastor's sermon. We question the Bible. Uh, we question everything. Uh, when you start to do that in Islam and you start to question Hadith and maybe you got some problems with Hadith and the Quran and all this, you need somebody to help you straighten that out. Somebody that's got some knowledge. Uh, you can't get this off the Internet. So my suggestion to new people and new converts is to find somebody that will take you under their wing, so to speak, teach you Islam and teach you to write Islam. Not some foolishness. Because there's a lot of that out there. I don't know if that answered the question, but I took a stab at it. Yeah.
So what were your misconceptions then about Islam? I think some of the misconceptions I had was that uh, that the people were going to be different. And I found out that you know, people are people. There's people that are following Islam the way they should be, and there's people that are not. And it's the same with any other group. Uh, there's there, it, When you get into somewhere, you start finding faults in people. I know we shouldn't do that, but that's a quite natural thing. Brother so-and-so is saying this, but doing that. You know, and you keep it to yourself. Yeah, you don't have to broadcast it, but these things are in your mind. You know what I'm saying? And I think I had a lot of trouble with that, and I had a lot of trouble with the Hadith. A lot of Hadith is redundant. You have Sahih Muslim and Sahih Bukhari, and uh, you'll see the same thing listed in both of them. Maybe a slight difference, but, you know, and I say to myself, wow, well, well, you got it in one, why you need it in another one, you know? And I was, you know, just kind of uh, trying to look at it the way you'd look at a commentary on the Bible. It's just the wrong way to go about things. And it took a lot of mental development. It took a lot of leadership from, from the sheikh to get me on the right path. Some of the brothers, I think I aggravated some of them. You know, music was the big thing for me. Oh, man, you know, when you're a truck driver going down the road, you know, it's that old country music, you know, you're driving along. And, you know, you, you get the picture of it. And you're hearing this stuff. If you're, if you're working 16 hours a day, you got the radio on for 16 hours a day. These things are hard to get rid of. And I, I started to think about the teaching of, you know, music. I did a video onto it uh, on my channel. But you start thinking about these things, and these lyrics stay in your head a lot longer than what they should. And uh, some of them aren't so good when you, when you think about what's being said. So, I mean, I had a problem with that. Oh, no music? What am I going to do? Everywhere you go here, I live in the West. And if you live in Canada or wherever you live, I, maybe Singapore is the same. When you go inside of the, the, the malls, you got music blasting in your ears. And it's haram. A lot of it's haram. All right? It stays in your head. It, uh, I think it even controls your thoughts sometimes. <laughs> it's my opinion. I'm an old guy, so you guys got to bear with me. You know, I'm twice your age. So, you know, but uh, I remember when the Beatles came out and I was a young fella, you know, and I watched all the old people say, oh, man, this is the end of the world. You know, <laughs> we found out it wasn't the end of the world. It was just the end of a, uh, that type of music that was polka bands and all the rest of the stuff that they were listening to. But anyway, it, you know, it's it's in your head all day long. Christmas time. You walk through them all. What do you hear? Ho Christmas ho ho! Song. Yeah, Christmas song. Yeah. So how I'm I'm curious. Like now, how did the uh, the sheikh that you studied under, you know, what what methods did he use to to get you to see Islam? Okay, the sheikh that I studied under, he ran an ad, and I think he either ran an ad or he had a flyer, and I received that flyer. And he was offering a course in basic Islam. And this was right shortly after I took the Shahada. So this was something I wanted to do. So I went and took the basic Islam at his school. And he's got a, he has a school. He's got a water, uh, kind of a storefront, a couple buildings right now. And they're building a mosque. But anyway, at that time, he uh, was offering this course. And I took the course, and we became friends. Now, 
we, we got to be able, we were able to talk and communicate back and forth. Uh, if you can't find a teacher that you can communicate with, get a different teacher because uh, uh, you got a problem then. You know, if he's just going to stand up there and lecture you and not answer or, or attempt even to answer your questions, you got a real problem. You find a different teacher. And that's the way I went about it because, uh, you know, I became friends with them and I asked them questions and I got good answers. And I'm 30 years his senior. It's, it's a humbling thing. Somebody my age with kind of background that I had to be listening to a 28 or 30 year old fella on Islam, learning something from him, you know. So you, you got to swallow your pride sometime and you got to, uh, in Islam, you got to get rid of your pride. But uh, I still had some residue. And uh, I learned a lot. And that was the way. Well, mashallah. Thanks for sharing that. Um, I think it, it's everything was all planned by Allah and to give you that shake to answer all your questions at the right time and the right, right. place. You said that you retired uh, five years ago before you know you came to Islam and and you were still discovering more about Islam and he put it in your path. You know, I think that is a beautiful story how you came to Islam. So um, I think Brother Edison, Amir has a question for you. Um, yeah, so actually this question is uh, as a Christian to Christian and convert into Islam, right? Is there any struggle that you face during, I mean, when you convert? Like for me, maybe it's more of like finding halal food, let's say. So what are yours? Well, it all depends on your economic position. Sometimes halal food can, can be pretty expensive or more more expensive than a pack of turkey and pork hot dogs so it it definitely depends on the individual some of these things uh, uh i guess when i when i did uh, some of the problems i had uh, wasn't really food uh, you know uh because i don't eat as much meat as i used to so i'm more vegetarian it, it's better for my health at my age uh, than, than getting, you know, sitting down and chopping down on a 20-ounce piece of beef that sits in your stomach for 12, 14, 16 hours. <laughs> At my age, that's not really that good. It might taste good, but it's it's maybe not that good for you. So anyways, the hello food, like I say, I don't know a lot about cooking. So we eat a lot of fish and things like that, things that you can throw in the microwave uh, that's the way pretty much uh, what I do. Probably a good breakfast, you know. But yeah, finding food, you could find it anywhere, but but it's going to cost you. It, the price is it's going to be high. And now with this pandemic and that we're going through and the shortages of food. And I imagine if you lived in a big city uh, where there was a Jewish population, a lot of the Jewish uh, food is halal. So and the meats anyway. So no, it's not a problem. It wouldn't be a problem finding that. Uh, the big problem is what uh, in, in where I live, and I live in the south. Now you got to understand, people in the south are not like they are in the north. <laughs> there's a there's a big difference between them. I mean, the pickup trucks, the dog boxes, and the, the hillbilly type. And I don't want to say they're all like that, but I want to say a good portion of them are like that. So there's a difference in the culture where I live, and that's probably the biggest thing. Wearing what I'm wearing. And going to the to the mosque on Friday, I'm going to get a lot of looks, you know, as a culture. Up north, people probably wouldn't say anything, you know. Hey, 
you know, let him do what he wants, you know. Uh, but here, here they're more, they look at that and, and, and they look at that perception of a Muslim. I think some of the sisters, I think, uh, especially from Canada, Canada's having a big problem right now with families being slaughtered and, and all this other stuff. And um, the mosque that I was going to on Fridays, a lot of us uh, conceal carry weapons. So if they come barging through the door with a gun, they're going to get met with about half a dozen other guns. So that's a deterrent. If you're unarmed in Canada, doesn't arm its citizens, except for rifles, I think, uh, for hunting. But you can't carry a, a handgun in Canada, or, or most places for that matter. So they have this problem, and that problem is going to persist because these people are crazy, some of them. Uh, when we look at uh, our election, and our, when the new president was going to be sworn in, I want you to take and go and look at those videos, and you're going to get a good look at what right-wing Christianity is all about, because that's what most of these people are right-wing Christianity, God and guns, and they stormed the Capitol. Now, they all look kind of like me, save the comment, but anyway, uh, they're crazies, absolute crazies. Now, the culture is, 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 is in that direction. Muslims are going to find it harder and harder in the United States to adapt and to get along. Okay, if you practice your faith and sisters wear their hijabs and, and, and you practice your faith, prayer time, maybe you're in the somewhere out and you want to pray and you put your uh, prayer rug on the ground, then you're going to have a real problem some places, I can guarantee you. If nothing else, you're going to find out after your prayers, you're going to have about six cop cars there and they're going to be going through your belongings and wondering what you're doing and what you're doing here in our town. Um, I think Brother Iskander has a question. But I also have one on other challenges like your own family member at home. You said you have children. So do they know you're Muslim? And if they do, uh, how do you overcome that? But maybe we put uh, Brother Skanda up first with his question. Yeah, um, so we have a lot of reverts here. And, uh, or at least Muslims uh, who reverted later. And uh, one of the problems I deal with is not so much about the halal food, uh, like uh, Brother Edison asked, but more about uh, family members being saved and attaining salvation. And as far as I understand, in some Christian schools of thought, uh, people can be saved or rather, if they were virtuous, they can be put into a place called purgatory. But I don't think that Islam has a concept known as purgatory. And so I was wondering if our former family members or you know, if there is a possibility for salvation. And this is really a question that, you know, if they don't accept Islam, and this is kind of a dif difficult question for me. So I wonder. Yes, yeah, with, with family members, uh, uh, purgatory, I think we do have torment in the grave. Uh, if you, if you, uh, you know, for a Muslim, there's, there's many videos out there on what happens after death. If you took the Shahada, uh, you're a Muslim. So, whether what's going to happen at your judgment, I can't say. I know the prophet, peace be upon him, can intercede for you if you're a Muslim. Because he couldn't intercede for Abu Talib that was his uncle because he wasn't a Muslim. So, right. And he didn't become one. So there's always hope for you. No matter, as long as you're taking a breath and as long as you're living, there's always hope for our relatives. It never ends. Uh, just be the example that you should be and Maybe they'll get something out of it. I make these videos 
And I don't make these videos to, to get a big following, to get a big YouTube channel, to get popularity or notoriety or to get money because I don't need any of those things anymore. Okay? I make that really perfectly clear. I don't, I don't need those things anymore. But what I do is I make these and I can pass them on to my sons. I can get benefit from these videos long after I'm gone. So that's the kind of work I'm leaving behind. I'm going to get blessings from these videos long after I'm gone. That's what I'm working for. Uh, a few bucks that you would make. <clears throat> let me tell you something. <clears throat> if I wouldn't have been married three times, I would have been a millionaire many times over. Many times over, I would have been a millionaire. But I had three wives. And in the Western system, economically, that's not a good idea. My first wife uh, really was, was, I was young. I was barely 18, and she was from Hong Kong. And uh, we were just immature, and that was the problem. And when you start listening and you're immature and you got family members talking this and talking that and talking this, that marriage didn't work out because of that. I mean, it was a lot of outside meddling, and there was a lot of development that I should have had done. So it's, it was my fault and her fault, but we were way too young to get married and we because we didn't have the maturity to get married. Her parents had adopted her at, at an early age. The second wife was uh, kind of like a, a good old Alabama girl, fried everything. I didn't know what vegetables were because everything was cooked in a fryer. Everything was fried. I don't care what it was. Even vegetables went in a fryer. It's a wonder I don't have heart trouble or something, you know. But I stayed with her for about 18 years. Uh, she had passed away with the coronavirus just lately. Uh, and then I had a third wife that uh, I had a mission, and I went to Colombia and South America, and I met this girl down there, and I could speak Spanish somewhat, and uh, uh, we met and married, and these are where my boys come from. I got three boys. Uh, I got one girl. I'm old enough, and the question was, uh, you know, part of somebody's question there was uh, about what does your family think? I'm old enough where most of my family is long gone. Mother, dad, brothers. I got a sister left that I don't get along too well with uh, for one reason or another. Uh, and that's it. I got an older brother. He's a, he's uh, what we call in, in, in his dotage. Uh, you know what dotage is. It's when you get so old, you, you get senile. In other words, for senile is dotage. <laughs> so this is where he's at. And uh, you, you can't have that good of a conversation with them anymore. But they wouldn't think anything of it. You know, we're kind of raised in this country that you can do whatever you want to do, uh, as long as it's not illegal. And even if it is illegal, if somebody doesn't turn you in, that's what a lot of people think. Uh, Canada, I used to do a lot of uh, driving in and out of Canada. My mother was Canadian. So my grandfather was Canadian. He was French. And uh, my mother, his family was Indian. So I have, I have some background in Canada. You know what I'm saying? We lived on a Canadian border in Michigan. So, uh, I mean, you know, uh, I guess that's why I got the beard. Uh, that's the French part. The Indian part, I wouldn't have a beard. All right. Her family and her, her people, they don't, they don't grow beards. Uh, but the Canadian uh, French have real thick beards. My hair used to be black. You wouldn't know that now. But anyway, uh, my, my uh, past is uh, pretty, pretty culturally 
diverse. So about what people think about me, I don't care. I don't care. You know, my sons, they just take it like uh, my sons are Catholic. They're both, uh, they're all baptized Catholic. Uh, they, they're not practicing Catholic uh, like a lot of them around this country. Uh, one of them is going to be 18. He just graduated from high school. He's going on to, um, he decided not to go to a college, but to go to a technical school and take something like in the uh, EMT or paramedic or something like that that could be useful, you know, where he could get a job because, you know, most uh, colleges today turn plenty of people out, but they're unemployed. So this is where we're at in this country, I mean. So is my family. Uh, you know, my mother's been dead for years, my father. So, you know, when you get my age, things don't make matter much to you anymore, you know. The thing I'm trying to do is leave something for my, my sons, leave something, uh, a legacy for them. They can go back and they can watch dad. I've seen Fergus. Fergus, I've seen your videos, uh, one with your father and one with your mother. Uh, those are going to be a legacy. You can go back and you can watch those videos and, and have some fond memories of the time. Yeah. Great. Do you guys have any other questions before we go to the comments section to look at questions that maybe our viewers have? I hope I answered the sister's comment, uh, question that she had. I, I forget what it was. No, you know, this is what happens when you get my age. If she wants to if she wants to ask it again, I'd be glad to. Oh yeah, one of them asked, uh, "What's the name of your channel?" And they wouldn't mind going on YouTube to check it out. Yeah, yeah, it's right below my. If you can see it right there on the board, right there, Sheikh Mustafa. I first had Sheikh Mustafa, and I discovered because I'm new at this. I did all this myself. All right, old guy like me trying to figure it out. All right, without very with very little help. Yeah. But anyway, I put Sheikh Mustafa, and people had a hard time to find the channel because if you go Sheikh Mustafa route, you're going to come up with about 150 sheikhs. Uh -huh. uh, most of them <laughs> African, from, you know, and you're going to find me down there somewhere in that line. So when I put Sheikh Mustafa USA on it, well, bang, comes right up because I'm the only one. Okay, so guys, Sheikh Mustafa USA, search it USA. on YouTube if you yeah. want to find his channel. Okay. I got about uh, 18, 18 videos, some, something like that. Uh -huh. Covers Bible, scripture, some culture in there. So music would be in that, that area. A bunch of different things. I got a revert story in there. It's got some views to it, uh, about 2.4 thousand views on that, which I find phenomenal. You know, that 2.4 thousand people want to hear how I came to Islam. I, I find that amazing. You know, I find it amazing that 10 people want to know much less that me. So, yeah. you know, it's a legacy it's, I'm trying to leave. Yeah, I think um, I think it's because it's quite surprising, you know, for someone like a pastor like yourself to to rethink his previous faith and to come into Islam. It's, you know, it's like unheard of even in Singapore. <laughs> I don't think anybody, oh, a pastor is coming to Islam. Yeah. I think if he does that, you know, we'll, we'll celebrate it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, you're right to say there's a legacy as well. I do these videos. I have the same intention as you in, in the sense that if my son one day were to check YouTube out and hopefully he comes across these videos, it would be something he can learn off from the internet that is beneficial for him too. So I, I think we, we come from the same, uh, the, the same thought of why we do videos 
on on YouTube. Yeah. Well, so, uh, I, Fergus, there's another reason too. You know, when you when you start yeah. getting gray like this, your mm -hmm. mind starts to go as well. Believe it. Uh, you're not as sharp as you used to be, and yeah. <laughs> you want to get that stuff out there that's in your head. It's easy for me to get what's in my head out than it is something new to remember somebody's name or, you know, something that happened today. It's a lot harder for me uh, than something that I've studied through the years, and you know, because mm -hmm. this is the problem, and, and that problem is going to probably get worse. Do it while you can, yes. Do it while you're still alert. <laughs> we have a question from Sister Elena. She asked if you could share with us about the Holy Spirit. What does it mean when the Holy Spirit is communicating with us. Who, is Jesus communicating with us? Or who, <laughs> how do we know is, is the Holy Spirit really talking or is it some other spirit talking? Well, here's the thing. See, you got a tripite God. It's three parts. Each one of these parts is a person, okay? I know that's hard to figure, right? You got three persons. You got Jesus as a person. You got the Holy Spirit as a person. And you got God, of course. Okay. Uh, when the Holy Spirit is communicating, I don't know of too many people, unless they're cuckoo, that hear an audible voice. Maybe there's a few. I don't know. But yeah, that's not been my experience. So you hear a small, still voice in your mind. Do this, do that. And people say, well, hey, that's the Holy Spirit. If you're praying for guidance and you hear some revelatory voice in your head, uh, you know, do this or do that. This is the problem. This is the solution. They think it's the Holy Spirit, and that's that's what they do. Holy Spirit is a person. So this person communicates with individuals, they say. Now, is he God? Yeah, according to Christians, he's God. Okay? He's that part of God, just like Jesus. Thanks. I think Sheikh answered that question perfectly. Yeah. Uh, there's another question here. Uh, did Jesus, or uh, Jesus, tell the name of his religion? No, Jesus never mentioned Christianity. Uh, there was a conversation when they went up on a mountain and uh, with Peter, and he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. But he didn't say, I'll build my Christian church. And as a Muslim, whether, look, here's the thing. As a Muslim, I believe that the Bible is true so long as it doesn't conflict with the Quran. Okay? Where it starts to conflict with the Quran, I know the Bible has departed from something. Okay? This is just my belief now. Not, not always been my belief, okay? I would have been just the opposite. I would have said, well, that Quran, that's the problem, you know, in the past. And I would have given more thought. But anyway, uh, he never built a church. Jesus never built a church. He at various times went into a synagogue, a Jewish synagogue, and read scripture. All right, He, did, he almost got killed one time for doing it because he read Isaiah. Uh, and talked about the Messiah, and he alluded that he was the Messiah. And uh, they almost took him out to stone him because he was saying that he was God or something, you know. Uh, so, they, so they almost they wanted to stone him, you know. So they run him out of town, uh, which would have been probably easy to do back then. He never said he was God. If he did, he would have been stoned. Uh, I mean, he would have nothing but opposition. He would have had no followers. It would have been opposition. So he never started a religion, all right? Uh, we see that, uh, and that's under debate. But uh, we see that he did practice what we call probably Islam. A lot of people would say Islam. He submitted to God, and that's simply Islam, okay? But he was a prophet. Didn't come as a priest and a king at that time. So he never started a religion. Can I add? Yeah. Maybe 
would it be that it was Paul of Tarsus that started the church going on within Christianity? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Most of the teaching of the church comes from Paul. The disciples were completely oblivious. They what, what church? What are you talking about? You know, cornerstone, whatever else. And here's the thing. You got a bunch of disciples, right? And they're chumming around with a guy for three and a half years, okay? Three and a half years. They didn't know he was God. Wouldn't that be a long time to be uh, chumming around with somebody and, uh, and not knowing who he is or what he is? And they were completely, I don't you know, when, he, when he's going to die. Oh, no, you can't do that. You know, if he's God, well, he's, they should say, hey, perfect, good idea. Now I'm going to have some atonement for my sin. It's not what you heard. This theology came into place slowly and gradually as it developed. And, and, and I think Bart Ehrman, I, re, I read a lot of Bart Ehrman. You don't want to read him. He's, a, he's an atheist, okay? He's, he's become an atheist. doesn't believe in God at all. Part of his non-belief is because of the doctrine of... Uh, believes that suffering, suffering is what drove him to be an atheist, okay? And um, anyway, uh, he says the same thing, that Christianity developed. The idea of Jesus becoming God developed over years and years and years. It wasn't something that everyone in that area believed that he was God. No, no. To them, he was just a, a an itinerant Jewish rabbi that they had to put to death because he was stirring up things, causing trouble. Especially, how long did it take him after he went through the temple and scourged the money changers? You know, that would be the equivalent of going into Wall Street today with a whip and flogging these guys and, and unplugging their computers or their PDAs or whatever else they got in their hands. I mean, he didn't last long after he did that. So that question is, if there are three, three Godheads. Who do Christians actually pray to? Is it Jesus, the Spirit, or God, the Father? Yeah, um, I hear in most prayers, the Father. And then they, the prayer is usually ended in Jesus' name. Okay? Yeah. That's a, the way Christians end the prayer most of the time is in Jesus' name. Now, there's not a lot of praying in the household. Let's face it. Even for the pastor and his family, they don't do a lot of praying. They may pray for the meals. They may have some special prayer time at certain times. Do they have a regimented prayer like we do as a Muslim? Nah, nah you never see that. They don't pray. A lot of uh, we used to have, we used to pray before the service. You know, we get the, all the deacons packed in this. I want you to picture that in your mind. We had a little room. It was probably about twelve by eight, and we packed the seven deacons in there and the pastor and pray, get on our knees and pray. We were Baptists, and we got on our knees and prayed. Uh, these are the same guys that are fighting one another, by the way. So, I mean, this is a miracle in itself that they're not doing something then. But anyway, uh, that would be a prayer. But uh, then we would start, Heavenly Father, you know, grant us this or that, you know, and in Jesus' name at the end. So that would be the, the format for the prayer. Uh, Holy Spirit, unless you're Pentecostal and uh, they believe in praying through the Spirit, they believe the Spirit takes control and they speak in other tongues. You've heard of that. Uh, I'm probably sure there's probably some Pentecostals in, in Singapore. They're all over the world. If they're not Pentecostals, they're charismatic, which is an offshoot of Pentecostalism. Uh, but they're all over the world. And... Uh, they let the spirit pray through them. A lot of times you can't understand it. It's in a, in a different language. And 
they'll say that and somebody will jump up and give the uh, interpretation. Uh, this is the way it should be done. That's the way it's not done usually, but according to the scripture that they believe. Okay. But that would be the only time they'd use the Holy Spirit at all. Okay. Um, another question from the audience is, uh, you said there's a lot of disagreements between churches. Does it mean that Christians do not have a united belief? Well, let me clarify that because <clears throat> I said that they're all different. But I want to mean that they're basically different but hold certain things, certain fundamentals all Christian churches would have. Uh, the idea of the Trinity. If they're going to be a Christian church, there's going to be a Trinity. Okay. Do they disagree on function or personality or what goes on? Yeah, yeah. There's a big disagreement on some churches, you know. You're not going to get Baptists sitting with Pentecostals and have total agreement on the Trinity. That's for sure. I mean, the minute they start speaking in tongues, that's going to be it. They start getting slain in the spirit, what they call it, and start falling on the floor or running up and down the aisles. And I've seen them do flips off of pews and, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, Baptists ain't going for that. Uh, so there's differences in churches on some of the finer points, but on some of the major issues, you know, like God. They all say there's one God. I don't, I don't think there's any Christian group that would say that there's more than one God. They all say there's one God, even if they're Trinitarians. And, and then they'll start to describe the Trinity, and you've got three pieces. So, you know, that didn't make sense, but I mean, that's, but they're still believing one God. Okay, all three of these people are part of that one God. They all have separate personalities. Okay, one person. So I hope okay. I answered that pretty well. I mean, there's, there's a lot of disagreements in churches, and you betcha. There wouldn't be 40-some thousand different denominations. There may be more now. Uh, that, that's probably old. Uh, but I read years ago, 20 years ago, there was 40,000 different churches, different beliefs. Most of these differences are on finer points and not on the major issues. Like I said, they would all believe in God. But what they would believe about God, there, there's where there would be a difference in the, in, in the problem. Okay. Brother Sheikh, I have a question um, on uh, the aspect of modernism, right? So um, the rise of theological modernism affected the Baptists quite a fair bit in the earliest part of this century. On the one hand, you have in the UK, uh, we have Charles uh, Spurgeon who broke away. And then in the US, you have maybe Martin Luther King who said they are all anti-intellectualism. So my, my question to you is, as all religions struggle uh, to coexist in this modern world, how have these struggles uh, within Christianity defined the way you look at faith or look at God? Yeah, well, there was an early movement, and we always, uh, the Southern Baptists came out with a commentary. Uh, this was back in the early, I think it was early 70s. And uh, the book of Genesis Whenever doing this commentary on the book of Genesis, it was too liberal, too liberal. Uh, this relates to that modernism that you're talking about. So they withdrew the book. It was decided that they would withdraw the volume one, and they would create another volume. 
that was more in line with what Baptists believed at that time. And you would have guys like Chris Wall and uh, Herschel Hobbs, uh, past president of Southern Baptist uh, Convention. You would have them stand up in the pulpits, and they had major pulpits back then uh, where there was we, we wouldn't think they were so big now, you know, because I came from a school that had 20,000 in Sunday school, you know. But these this, these churches had four or 5,000 uh, members present, and they would get up in there, and they would pound the pulpit, you know, and the Bible is the Word of God and only the Word of God. you got to believe that. you got to put the modernism away. you got to go back to the fundamentals of the faith. And they would preach these kinds of sermons, you see. And uh, this was an attack against modernism. If you now, they had a seminary. They had Southern Seminary, which was your more liberal, more moderate school. It, you know, you're likely to hear anything in Southern Seminary because you'll get some professors that maybe came from Princeton or somewhere. You know, it's, it's just uh, they're going to have a different view. All right. It's not going to be a pure Baptist view. Had some of that at Liberty University. Uh, I remember being there, and we had once Liberty had opened its doors to other faiths because they took uh, federal money. They were struggling, and they started taking federal money. Uh, they started to have to let people in that were Catholic and people that were Protestant, people all kind, all kinds of faith, and it caused a lot of confusion. Then they started getting teachers, you know, from different areas that weren't particularly. Uh, uh, fundamentalist Baptists and didn't hold to the fundamentals of the faith. If you want to know what they are, you just go look online. It's the, you know, the birth and the, the death and the resurrection. And, you know, it's it, it, you can look at what the fundamentals are. And basically, as a Christian, that's not moderate. Uh, you know, uh, the basic mainline conservative Christian would believe in the fundamentals. The moderates, they're going to cut some slack in between there somewhere, you know. Especially if you're in a church in Kentucky, smoking's fine. Uh, sipping that bourbon whiskey might be all right, you know. Uh, if you were down in Alabama, oh, you better not do that. Now you'd be out Monday looking for a new pulpit, you know. <laughs> so uh, that would be the difference between the modernism and the conservatism. Uh, once again, I don't want to hammer this thing into the ground, but those people that uh, were crazy, I say, and they went after the the, uh, the house, you know, stormed the house. A lot of those people were probably in between that, but you have a group now that are, that, that are ultra, ultra right, okay? Uh, they believe that America belongs to Americans, okay? They believe that the Jews, uh, Israel, is 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 uh, top of the totem pole, you might as well say. Okay, it's the Jew first, and then it's the Christian. I think what a lot of these people that know better are trying to do with these people, they're trying to start problems. Okay, they want to see something break out, and they're trying real hard for that to happen. Okay, uh, they support Israel right down to the last American. In the last American dollar, okay. And what's the reason for that? You know, I talked in another video about uh, Israel attacked an American naval ship, shot it all to pieces, killed a lot of the crew. If that would have been any other country, we would have had all-out war on them. 
I mean, we would have invaded that country. Okay? But it was Israel. And Israel got away with it. Okay? So there's a superiority of Israel in the Christian's mind. And in these ultra-right, a lot of these people are militia, survivalists. They're the kind that uh, uh, hoard food, you know, for the end of the world. Uh, they're training all the time. Uh, this is the new Christian right. This is the new fundamentalist that's coming up. Okay? Very dangerous group of people. Not like the old ones. We used to sit and debate about the Bible, the inspiration of the Bible, all these other issues about the Bible. These guys are crazy. They all pick up guns and they want to make sure that their points are, are taken. All right? Storm the Michigan Capitol. Plan to execute the governor. Now, uh, you tell me we don't have a problem. Now, you tell me that uh, Muslims are safe in our country. Huh? Not from these people or not. Well, well I guess I got, on a, I got on a horse there and rode it for a while. But, you know, it's just the things that are going on in my mind. I'm seeing bad things, you know. Mm. That's it's quite an eye-opener. Yeah. I never expect to to know. It's it. almost yeah. like they think the Jews in Israel are like the biblical Jews, which is of course not yeah. the case, right? Oh, right. I, I don't know. Yeah. You ask I mean, the average Jew what they think about America and what they think about Christianity, and you're going to be surprised what they believe. All right. They want to take our money. They want to take our weapons and our support, but they think we're nuts. Absolute crazy. They think Christianity is a joke. All right. They're 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 Jews, uh, and and a lot of them. I don't I don't think maybe they know. You know, you see them now. They've been protesting and jumping up and down. You know, very emotional people. Uh, sort of like I remember the Iranians. Uh, <laughs> they were pretty emotional too. You know, when they captured the. Remember back in the Carter era, that's how old I am. But they but they took all those hostages and they were burning flags and they had little dummies on sticks and they were setting them on fire and all that stuff, you know. It's, it's easy to work people up. I mean, all we need in this country is somebody who's more clever than Trump. Trump was an idiot. But all we need is somebody who's more clever is going to persuade. Uh, he's got, look. 72 million people voted for this guy. 40 some million, 42 million still believe he should be president. Lost because of uh, because the election was stolen from him. See? These same people are lingering, hanging on. You want to make hedge out to this? I mean, you want to make hedge out to this country? You're crazy because this is the problems that we're having. And, and Muslims are not painted in a good light here. Not at all. I mean, you take your life into your own hands. We lock the door at the mosque, all right? We have a little button you can push. Is, who are you? And we can see. And if you belong. But that's crazy, too, because, you know, what if you want to come in and you want to investigate what Islam is, like I did? And you want to come in the back and you want to sit down. You want to listen. You don't have that opportunity, man, because I don't know you. How do I know what's what? You got a gun? Are you going to come in here and start shooting? See? It's a real problem we're having. Let me tell you something. A real problem. Yeah. 
And thank you, Sheikh, for sharing with us your insight on the, the US and how things are there. I think we have learned a lot, a lot uh, throughout this whole session today. It's quite beneficial for a lot of us, but we have already crossed uh, our mark, which is supposed to end at uh, an hour and 15 minutes the most. I think for you guys, if you have more questions for Sheikh, you can go to his uh, YouTube channel, which is uh, Sheikh Mustafa USA. Type it on the search and uh, you can you can direct your questions to him there, I think. Yeah. Yeah, and if you if you got uh, Fergus, just let me say something. If you got a question that's more personal, and you don't want to post it where a video is, uh, you can get me at americanislam.ed at gmail.com. That's americanislam.ed at islam dot uh, at uh, gmail.com. And you can, you know, write me an email. I read everything because it's a small channel. And I got time to do it, uh, so I answer most of it if it's if it's not something silly, you know. Uh, if it's a serious question, I'm going to answer it. So you get me there. Yep. Okay. Thank you so much, Sheikh, for your time and for uh, blessing us with your presence today so much. Yeah. Hope to see you again uh, in future topics. If uh, that so happens, to, you know, you can come in for for them. And uh, we wish you a blessed and beautiful day today. Is uh, I think today is a Sunday for you guys in the US, is it? Right. Yeah. And <laughs> it's Father's Sunday Day. For you. It's Father's it's Day. Big, Day. Big holiday for people around here. Celebrate yeah. the holiday. Right. Yeah. All right. So, well, Fergus, uh, it was good. I'm, I'm glad that you invited me. I'm really happy to be here. And uh, may Allah bless you and your family, your wife and your newborn or your son. Uh, may he keep you safe. I mean, Jazakallahu Khairan for uh, everyone also who, who shared and, you know, tuned in tonight. Um, I would like to just uh, wish everyone also Assalamualaikum Warahmatullahi Wabarakatuh. And uh, see you again in the next episode. Um, good night Salam. from Singapore. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum. Assalamualaikum.